Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be back with y'all. Um, my name is Robert, Ministry Associate with Ministry State, and here with me, as always, my good friend and colleague, Will Stockdale, also a Ministry Associate, a Ministry Estate. Um, and we actually have a very special guest with us today. Um, we are very happy to welcome to the show, back to the show, she's a reoccurring guest now, uh, Caitlin Wall-Shelton. Caitlin, how, uh, thank you for being back on the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, for the listener, uh, you've probably seen Caitlin's name in the opinion section of World Magazine, the new opinion section. They're doing awesome stuff over there. I know it's one of Will and I's um, uh, favorite reads. Uh, but we're, we're recording this episode now. It's been a little over a day since the leaked, um, I guess, draft of a potential opinion to come out of the Supreme Court that would overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and just to kind of get this conversation started, Caitlin, you've worked now uh, in D.C. working on this issue um, for quite some time. I mean, what were your sort of initial thoughts when you first saw the, the opinion or the, the draft opinion come out? I was honestly amazed. I think that a lot of pro-lifers were very optimistic after the oral arguments. And I kept trying to tamp that down, the optimism. <laughs> um, I was like, surely, surely, like we can't totally overturn Roe. I, I really hope that that's the case. But I started listening to these voices that were saying, well, maybe it's going to be a partial overturn. Um, maybe it'll just weaken Roe and Casey. But when I read the leaked opinion, I was shocked. It was like everything I would have wanted him to say short of abortion should be illegal always and everywhere because um, because it's immoral and it's the taking of a human life. Unfortunately, he didn't go that far. He kicked it back to the states, which is exactly what um, Mississippi was asking the Supreme Court to do. And so very, very excited to read that. Also, I'm still trying to tamp down my optimism because it's not final. So we don't really know what impact the leak will have on the justices, hopefully none. Hopefully they will stay um, on the majority opinion, the five justices that are currently on the majority opinion. Hopefully they'll stay there and we will see an end to Roe in a month or so. Yeah, you brought up a, a great point there in that um, it, there, there's so many reasons I know that people have assigned to, to why maybe the leak happened, whether it was to intimidate uh, some of the more conservative justices on the court to maybe change uh, their vote. Um, but I know another kind of uh, potential answer that's been given is that it would sort of spur um, Democrats to go ahead and try to codify Roe federally, um, because if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, like you said, uh, really kicking things back to the states, and that would have a massive effect on kind of the the social and cultural dynamics in America right now. If if Roe v. Wade is overturned and abortion was uh, uh, kicked back to the state level, what what are some of the predictions or some of the things that you might see happening at that state level uh, across the country? 
Yeah. So the pro-life movement has been extremely strategic and smart over the past 50 years, maybe probably more, um, but at least for the duration of Roe. A lot of pro-life work has been done at the state level already. And so I think it's something like 13 states that have trigger laws in effect that will outlaw abortion in their states the moment that Roe is overturned. So that's really exciting. There are a majority of states that have no laws um, and several of those states are like, I know, um, I want to say it was North or South Dakota. <laughs> you know, it, it is, it is on, it is on point to get those confused and they're used it to it. I think, I think I that know, and I apologize. <laughs> I have a very dear friend who lives in one of those two States that I can't remember right now. Um, I've never had the, the privilege to go there yet. Uh, My- I was talking to a friend's girlfriend who's from uh, uh, North Dakota. And I said, oh, you guys have like, uh, not much Rushmore. She goes, no, that's, that's South Dakota. I was like, oh, you guys have like the Badlands. She goes, no, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> so anyways. Yeah, so I think it's South Dakota <laughs> that is calling a legislative session to, a special legislative session to address this issue, to hopefully put into place a trigger law before the final decision is released. And so I know there are a lot of states where, the climate is good for um, issuing these types of laws that would outlaw abortion should the Supreme Court overturn Roe and Casey. There are several states, um, California and New York are two, that abortion will remain legal. And so I think one of the one of the most shocking things to me is that it seems like um, on the left, there's there's this fear that all of a sudden abortion will be illegal always and everywhere. And while I wish that was the case, um, it won't be the case. I, I want to say there will be 26 states that will still allow abortion in their states, even if the Supreme Court overturns Roe. And that's more than half. Mm. So there's a lot of work to be done on the state level. There's a lot of work that has been done. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, when, when you guys mentioned this leak and then Robert, you mentioned this potential, hopefully to codify uh, Roe into law. Um, there's been so much drama and so much intensity over the past days. I think that, you know, there, Lord willing, if this comes to pass, let it be. So there, there's so much reason to rejoice and to be excited. I think uh uh, life uh, from conception protected all the way to death is an unmitigated good. I think that is uh, barring, of course, uh, well, death penalty. We'll leave that out of here. But there has been, you know, so many questions, and you know, you mentioned the the codification of um, of, of the of Roe, but you know, you wrote a piece for World Magazine about uh, corporations. Um, paying for abortion care. And if you do have the pro-life side that is working to be very strategic and thoughtful, uh, does the abortion on demand side, uh, say just the pro-choice side to keep it simple, also been putting these strategies in place as a trigger for Roe if it is overturned? Or is this something that is just part of um, what they would consider just healthcare access to 
to women in the workforce? Yeah. So a lot of, so actually Planned Parenthood has, um, led a group of corporations to take a stand against abortion and they're putting pressure on corporations. They're saying your employees deserve this. The women who work for you need this and you are required to provide this for them, but also you should be taking a stance. And a lot of the corporations are public. They're publicly traded and And so that means that if you have retirement funds that are invested in the stock market, that your money is going to these corporations who are spending part of their time and using your money to advocate for abortion. And so on the one hand, companies have the ability to institute whatever kind of packages they want Mm -hmm. for their employees, but it's it's a step further that they are stepping into the public square and using their considerable wealth and sway. Some of their the corporation's wealth dwarfs that of nations to advocate for abortion in the public square. And so it's really an undermining of the democratic process when you have gigantic corporations putting pressure on governors to change their laws on abortion. And it's really concerning. So that's one sphere in which it doesn't matter how the Supreme Court rules entirely. It doesn't matter how we vote because this is completely undermining the democratic process. Right. Like, like I, I, your, your piece, uh, you mentioned um, Yelp, uh, Citigroup. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a couple more, uh, Lyft, Ben and Jerry's, Reddit, Mm-hmm. Um, I saw just recently, I think a couple of days ago, they announced that Amazon is, is now offering up to $4,000 reimbursement um, to seek an abortion. Um, and, you know, we've already seen corporations act to um, pressure states to do different things, whether that was like the voter law down in Georgia, I think was mm-hmm. one example. But even in Texas, they've, I know they've uh, tried to weigh on, on the Texas capital. Um, when the abortion, that abortion law, um, was made. So yeah, the, the whole question of, you know, if you, it just banning something won't actually solve the problem. You need to create this culture of life. You need to, and that, that argument is interesting in, in that it, it seems to disregard the fact that there's all of this money, there's all this power, corporate power, that is shaping culture just as much as any law could or any sort of like that, that it seems that, that legal uh, restrictions against abortion have to be part of the, the solution to creating this culture of life uh, in our communities. Yeah. It's really sad too, because it seems like there's this kind of peer pressure Mm. um, and, and Planned Parenthood is leading it. They're the ones that are kind of bullying these corporations into advocating for abortion, but it's sad because you don't hear about corporations coming out as being pro-life. Yeah. <laughs> it's only the other way mm-hmm. around. And so on the one hand, that's really sad, but on the other hand, we really do need to have courageous business leaders who will stand up and say like, we don't believe in this. This is not good for women. We understand maybe that these corporations are trying to do well by women and that's admirable, but it's wrongheaded and it's just 
wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish there were corporations that would stand up and do that and have the courage to do so. For sure. Because I think they would have about half of America that would probably want to to frequent their business, whatever it may be. So, well, it, it's kind of the one example that comes to mind is Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Um, and that's somewhat the exception that proves the rule though. And that, that was such a, I mean, it went to the Supreme court. I mean, that was that one company standing up and I'm sure there are other smaller mom and pop type shops that wanted to, didn't have the resources, but I mean, props to them. They're part of this fight and part of this story of standing up to, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the pro-choice movement. Uh, you know, one of the things we've seen in DC is there's been a lot of protesting going on since uh, Monday night. Um, a lot of, a lot of anger. Um, what, what is driving this, this despair? I mean, there's almost like this apocalyptic despondency that is coming on people that, that the world is about to end for them. I mean, yeah. Uh, have we realized it? And, and, and I think about um, this wickedness of wanting to put it into law is how, how do you, how do you process and, and think through what we're seeing on that public side? Yeah. So I, I see these women at the Supreme court. We used to live, my husband and I used to live right behind the Supreme court on third street. Literally we shared the um, parking lot with the Supreme court. Oh, um, their public lot. And, and so we would oftentimes see protesters and hear them. Um, there have been a lot of protesters at the Supreme Court building. There have been pro-life protesters there as well, um, expressing excitement about the opinion. But a lot of a lot of the people at the Supreme Court have been holding signs that say, my body, my choice reproductive care is healthcare, abortion is healthcare, those types of things. Um, And it's really sad because a lot of these women, a lot of them hold these really brazen blunt signs that kind of have this veneer of, um, you know, fire and fight. I think a lot of these women are scared mm-hmm. really I think they're scared that they don't know what they would do if they were pregnant a lot of them don't have supportive spouses they mm-hmm. don't have families they don't have the social structures necessary literally necessary for raising a child I'm a mom now and I feel like I think about this in a different way on the mm-hmm. one hand I'm even more pro-life because I have seen my babies via ultrasound in my womb, moving and their hearts beating as early as six weeks. Um, and, and then on the other hand, I, I know what it takes for someone to raise a child. My children, I have twin boys. They are only 21 months, so almost two. But I, I oftentimes have no idea what I would do if I were a single mom and had to make money for our family while also paying for childcare, which is outrageous. Mm-hmm. I currently work part-time, but my salary for a little while, I was losing money 
to work part-time because the cost of childcare was so high. And so these women are scared, but they've also been sold this false bill that states that abortion is healthcare and it's just not. Um, the taking of a human life and science says that what is in the womb from conception is a human life. It is dependent upon the mother, but it is a human life. It's, it's killing a human life. It's ending Mm -hmm. a human life. And so there are some things that we say, you know, even though this is hard, even though this is complicated, even though we need a, a, society that better supports women and children and families this is an objective wrong and we Mm -hmm. will not allow it we don't allow murder in our society we don't say well if you choose this person is really bothering you you can choose to murder them like we don't allow that there are certain things and it's not a religious belief it Mm -hmm. it is just a a common good that our society holds that we do not allow people to murder other people so i i really do um, have a lot of compassion on the women holding signs. I think that they've been lied to. <laughs> um, they've been told by politicians for whom it is profitable to um, that that abortion is healthcare. And I've been getting text messages from the DNC saying it's Kamala Harris. <laughs> Donate fifteen dollars so that the Supreme Court won't overturn Roe. And that's just absolutely despicable. It's fear mongering. It's it's playing on these fears and, and it's been happening for a really, really long time. Um, so my prayer is that women would wake up and see that abortion is not healthcare, but also that conservatives would be just as vocal about family supports and support for real women's healthcare and for childcare support as they are um, vocal about the pro-life issue. Yeah, my my experience in the in the pro life movement uh, um, for the last several years, you know, we I've noticed uh, even in in that short amount of time that um, there are tons of pro life organizations that are aware of this need to sort of create the the support networks for. Uh, uh, women who, who need it when uh, they do face an unplanned pregnancy. And uh, I've noticed over, over the years that more and more crisis pregnancy centers are offering uh, counseling for the fathers um, to try to motivate them to stay in the picture and um, uh, supportive and raising the child. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, effort, I know, to, uh, to reaching out to women who have, who have been victims of abortion, uh, who have got, undergone abortion. You know, the the stories that you know all these conservatives are, or Christians are pro birth but not pro life, and they sort of have rejected um, uh, women. I I don't doubt that maybe some of that is true, and and if it has been, then we need to repent of it and and do better. But I've also been to galas where you know some of the pro- platform speakers are women who actually rejected the services of the crisis pregnancy center, went off and got an abortion, but because of the the, the love and compassion that these, that these pro-lifers had for the, for the mom stayed in touch and, and, uh, eventually, um, were able to, um, uh, either convince her otherwise the next go around or to, uh, uh, 
Um, th this story was that she had come to faith at one of these crisis pregnancy centers. I mean, th this is, this seems to be very intentional, I think, on the side of, of the pro-life movement to do what, exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, to support uh, women. What are, I, I kind of want to bring this now to sort of like maybe the church level, since I know a lot of our listeners are pastors or involved in the church. What are some of the ways that you see churches being able to come around, you know, these, uh, these women who you, know, you said are scared about, you know, the, the possibility of what if I do have an unplanned pregnancy, what am I going to do? I don't have the networks, the support. What, what can churches be doing to really rally around those women? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm now attending an Anglican church here in Washington, D.C., which is wonderful. Um, I love it. But I think that one thing broadly, so this is kind of meta level, <laughs> Um, I think we could do a lot to improve our theology of sex and our theology of marriage and our theology of the body. Mm. So Catholics have an extremely robust theology of the body, thanks to Pope John Paul II. Um, whenever I was in divinity school at Yale, I spent some time um, learning about that Catholic social teaching and the theology of the body. And I think it answered a lot of the questions that I had growing up as an evangelical who was told that you don't have sex until marriage and then it's a free-for-all. Um, and that's just, it's not the case. Yes, great, abstinence, awesome. But free-for-all, no. Um, our theology has to say more about what the purpose of sex is, namely unity between the husband and wife and procreation of children. Mm -hmm. um, we have to ask questions about contraception and whether our use of contraception is licit as Christians. Christians disagree about this. That's fine. We need to think about it and ask those questions. So that that's kind of a, an intellectual thing. Um, a more practical thing that churches can do, you know, churches are already doing it. All the churches that I have been a part of have been involved in some way in a pregnancy care center, which cares for women and meets women where they are. In Jackson, Tennessee, it was Birth Choice, um, which was a pro-life organization that had um, nurses. They did ultrasounds. I don't know what all services they offered, but they also had a diaper bank and a, you know, a pantry with food and clothes for children. They would host baby showers. Uh, every few months, we would have a baby bottle drive where we would fill baby bottles with coins to raise money for the, the pregnancy care center. Mm. Um, we, our, my school, I went to Union University in undergrad and it's a Christian school, Southern Baptist school. And we would go on work days and rake the yard at this pregnancy care center. So there's a lot that can be done in Washington, D.C. I forget the name of the pregnancy care center that's right on Capitol Hill, but my church is involved there. Ministries I'm involved with, Faith and Law on the Hill is involved there. Um, I know that there are 3,000 pregnant pro-life pregnancy care centers that offer services to women, most of which are free. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of organizations like this that most of the time are parachurch organizations that are already caring for women. Um, 
another thing that I think, again, kind of leans toward um, less tangible, but I think that we could change the way we talk about abortion. Um, I know I'm guilty of this. I, I forget that a lot of women have had abortions. Mm. Um, and a lot of women who may be pro-life have mm. had abortions. Good point. And I think the way that we talk about it, especially pastors from the pulpit, I think we need to have a lot of compassion. I keep thinking as I see the protesters, um, these crowds of people in D.C. about the verse that says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And I just keep thinking about what that would mean for these these pro-choice people who are advocating for abortion which is something I think is evil um but what would it mean to have compassion on them how would Jesus have interacted with them and loved them um and I think we can also do a lot to try and help remove the stigma from teenage girls who end up pregnant or you know um older women who may not be married who end up pregnant. I think there's a lot of stigma attached with that. Um, and I think the church can do a lot to celebrate life, even when it may have come about in a way that um, doesn't line up with how scripture would have it be. <laughs> um, but we certainly should not have women in our pews who feel like they have to get an abortion because no one at church can know. It's mm. a great point. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember the church that I grew up in, we always had, uh, we celebrated sanctity of life Sunday and it was an opportunity to uh, donate a lot of, um, you know, things to local crisis pregnancy centers that they needed. And then we always had a message that was geared towards it. And I remember, one thing that my pastor growing up would always highlight was just the, the number, I think, and I, I was double checking as you were speaking, I, this number, I, I don't remember if this was the one that he referenced, but, you know, something like, you know, somewhere between one and four, one and five women. Um, and, you know, he would basically say like, you know, statistically speaking, there's probably women in all of our churches that have had abortions and we don't know it. And we've got to be sensitive to that and, and speak with that in mind. Yeah. Um, Part of the problem, one of the things that annoys me about that stat is that generally it is quoted by um, the pro-choice side and it usually includes what they call and medically what is called spontaneous abortion, which is oh. as miscarriage and miscarriage oh. is one in four among women. Mm. So it's a little bit misleading to say that one in four women, I'm not saying that you are being misleading. Um, this is actually something that I hope to write about soon to try and dispel a few myths. Um, well, Caitlin, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I've always been suspicious about Robert being misleading. And so now that you've been <laughs> able to shed light on things, I have something to report to Chuck. I'm running this up the flagpole. You should, you, you know, um, like I, I feel like the, the phrase has been running through my head is uh, solemnities and celebrations in that we, we have a lot to celebrate here. There's, there's a lot to celebrate and, but there's also a sense of, of somberness um, and the way it feels like for the, the last 50 years, a fight has undergone and there's been a victory. There's VJ day, VE day. Um, 
the the enemy and that, that again is not the the not the the women who have had abortion but rather the practice of abortion itself and i appreciate that's a such a good distinction to be able to make i think it's also consistent with our battle is not against flesh and blood um yeah but it begins mm-hmm. prince evil and principalities and so um their practice that are evil, but, you know, in the same way with V-Day, you had troops coming home, soldiers coming home and you had rebuilding and work to do. And so now we have all this work to do. And on the one side, this ties a celebration, like y'all have said, I, I grew up in little Alito, Texas, which you would think would be like one of the most conservative places. And in crisis pregnancy center was just a given, like it was just a no duh. Of course, that's what we're going to do. I, I've never, I've never been a part of a church that didn't, that didn't care for single moms. And and there's this attitude among people like now the church really needs to step up and look, will there be more work? Yes. But, but let's honor the people who have been for decades, decades doing this work. And you know what, why we haven't heard about them? Cause they're not flashy or sexy. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they don't run like major ads. They don't have huge billboards. They don't have huge, huge, they're like shoestring budget operations yeah. that are humble and mo- like capital pregnant just around the corner from me. Uh, and the woman who runs that, they're amazing what they do and the people who volunteer their time and just listen and offer counsel. They don't discriminate. They, they, they don't pick and choose. They are faithful. They do their job and they go home. And there's just so much to be excited about and, and more of those, but there's so many unsung heroes that we can celebrate as well and say, keep it up keep doing this. We are so proud of you for what you've done. Um, and and those I, think are- those, I think those are the people who deserve the praise the mm-hmm. most. Um, I think a lot of times we think that the people off doing stuff in DC, um, I'm here, you know, I, I wanted to come to DC and work. I, I like policy. I'm more geared toward thinking and ideals and, you know, writing policy but um but it's the people who are actually loving the women on the ground level i think those are the ones who are often overlooked um young lives is a great example someone to support uh, that's part of the young life ministry that is seeking to provide um care and support for single mothers in in largely low-income schools uh, i think that's Sorry, I just didn't mention, didn't think of that, but that, you know, that's another addressing a very specific need uh, in the world. So um, as we do like move forward and we think about the work that does need to be done, not just by churches, but, um, you know, I think maybe specifically the women who would be afraid for the couples, how um, do you have any, maybe, maybe I'd just say final advice for us. I think for right now, cautious optimism. Um, I I am not 100% convinced that the draft that we've seen will be the draft that is for the final ruling that is released. Mm. Um, We can pray. So we can pray that the final ruling does overturn Roe and Casey. Um, But also that people are willing to continue the work that they've been doing at the state level and also at the local level in these pregnancy care centers. Um, We need people who are courageous, who will stand up and say, you know, it's not popular to be pro-life. I went to Yale Divinity School. (laughs) It was overtly pro-choice. 
Mm. Um, Planned Parenthood was across the street from the Divinity School. And it was not, I, I was not popular for offering pro-life uh, perspectives in my classroom. Um, but it's, it's necessary. And I think also it's, it's necessary that we remember that the people we're talking to are, are also hurting. We're all hurting in some way. Mm. And it's really easy to get hung up on the political talking points. I do that a lot, but I think remembering that this is a very personal issue that affects a lot of women and a lot of families. Um, I think that is, is something that we could definitely all be mindful of moving forward. For sure. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us your perspective and about this issue and um, just all of the, the wisdom uh, for us as we, as we think about this issue and as we think about uh, kind of going forward here from hopefully, like you said, cautious optimism, hopefully um, a post-real world um, and uh, what that will look like and what that will demand of us um, as uh, people who have been called into the, to the world to, to demonstrate the love and compassion of Christ to, to the hurting and to the, um, uh, to the oppressed and, and, and all that. So I think, um, this has been really helpful. I know for me, and I know for our listeners as well. Um, if somebody wanted to follow you, what you're writing, where kind of where you're dumping your thoughts online, where, where would they go? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Anna Kate Shelt and that's Kate with a K K A T. Um, and, and there's more than uh, of the spelling of Kate's, there is no end. And so, uh, yes, it's very true. It's very true. But I also write for world opinions. And so I have an author's page on world's website. It's WNG.org. Yeah. And I mostly write about the pro-life issue. So. Well, and do you have anything coming out again soon? I do. Tomorrow, I think, hopefully, I have a piece coming out about the the leaked opinion specifically um, with just some of my thoughts about its impact on women, including the women who are pro-choice, but also women like me who, as I read the the draft ruling um, or the draft opinion, I was um, thinking about my own unborn child who's 12 week gestation. Um, is this an uh, announcement? Is this an announcement? It is. I actually have not announced it publicly yet. Oh, this is big. This is what the whole way folks, this is it. This is, this is the big crescendo, the buildup right at the end, the apex. Yeah. It was actually super interesting timing because I read the opinion and was just elated. And then the next morning I got to go and watch my 12 week old baby in my belly through an ultrasound. And she, I, I'm saying she, that's a rhetorical flourish. <laughs> I don't really know if it's a boy or girl yet, but. You're like with twin um, boys, I'm do a girl. All right. Yes. That's it. <laughs> um, but she was moving around and moving her arms and legs and bouncing, like pushing against my bot. Like it was crazy. The the ultrasound tech had such a hard time getting the pictures and the measurements that she needed because the baby was moving so much. And I just had tears running down my face because 
I cannot imagine a world in which abortion is legal. I can't. Mm -hmm. And yet we live in one. And I hope that my baby girl, maybe, <laughs> will not ever have to imagine what it would be like to live in a world with abortion. So, Well, what a way to end. Thank you for that. And we'll be looking for more pieces from you on uh, JP2 and Theology of the Body. So you're going you're gonna to serve us Protestants with uh, some more of that, I'm that sure. That is on my to-do list. Hey, good. Good, good, good. So, well, I'll kick it back over to you, Robert. I that was it. No, you're going to land this plane, man. You're going to land. Oh, you're going to force me to land it. Okay. I, I, you open, you close, man. We're okay. leaving this in. I'm not even editing this out. Well, I, I can't, I can't say anything else that would be better than a baby announcement on our, on our episode. That's the no, that was the goal. You just, you give our show. handles, you say, thanks for listening. Okay. And we're out. Awesome. Well, if you wanted to follow us, we have less interesting thoughts online. I'm at RD Hassler. Will's at Stockdale. Will. And as always, you can follow Ministry of State. We're also uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Ministry of State. Um, and with that, we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>